brought to you by Fruitnet Media. This is Fruitbox. Hello and welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. I want these 15-minute conversations, which we now broadcast once a week, to give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. We've talked a lot here on Fruitbox uh, over recent weeks about food retail, and I'd like to round off this focus by looking at some of the wider challenges um, they face, as well as the changes underway in consumer preferences for fresh fruits and vegetables as we look to life after the pandemic, and may it come very soon. There's no better person to talk about all of this uh, than David Hughes, the Emeritus Professor of Food Marketing at Imperial College here in London. David, welcome to Fruitbox. Hi, Chris. Delighted to be here. Now, e-commerce has gotten a whole lot bigger in every major market around the world under COVID-19. What challenge do you think e-commerce represents for food retail as, it, as it's currently configured? Is is the kind of day of reckoning fast approaching for many food retailers because of the growth of e-commerce, David? Mm. Uh, look, it's, as you say, it's grown everywhere, and it, and it has, but of course from different bases. So, for example, uh, let's look at the spread. If you take the US and Canada, where it's at rel- it was at very, very low levels, and yes, it's doubled, but still at modest levels, whereas, say, China will be 20% plus. Uh, from a UK perspective, where I am right now, uh, there we're as a leader of the pack, if you will, in Europe when it comes to uh, uh, on- online. So it depends where you are. And also, let's not forget that uh, with regard to online grocery retailing, of which fresh produce is part, that fresh produce has tended to underperform. Uh, so that if, say, in the UK, it's 15% of groceries bought online, then actually, when I look at the numbers, it's about 12%, 11% for fresh produce, uh, you know, reflecting that still, given it is fresh food, that there's some there's, you know, resistance to, well, I prefer to select myself, even though it's difficult to do under the COVID-19 circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's grown. Is that, is that good for fresh produce? Uh, I think there are pluses and minuses. Um, if I you know, let's not be too negative, but starting off with um, uh, frozen has done well, uh, particularly well uh, with under COVID-19. And that, I think, has had an impact on fresh vegetable purchases uh, because uh, and what's more, that may be a longer term impact in that we were resistant to buy frozen veg uh, because the perception was that it was not the same quality or, uh, you know, we want it fresh. We were forced into a position where we did. And I thought, oh, okay, it's pretty good. Actually, it's convenient. Uh, It's very easy to prepare. I'm wasting less because I can store it. Uh, So, you know, pluses and minuses. But actually going going back, this sort of move towards online, All we've seen, as we've seen with so many consumer trends uh, through COVID-19, is an acceleration of existing trend. And, you know, let's not forget, uh, uh, if I take uh, my own circumstances, as you know, I'm not in the first flush of youth, uh, that all we're seeing is another turn of the the wheel cycle of retail. Uh, so, you know, go back to the 1950s, good Lord, the better part of 70 years ago, then my mother bought not, not anything online, but it was all delivered direct. 
you know, every every Saturday morning, she'd have a conversation, uh, probably by phone, uh, with the greengrocer, and then what? Uh, two hours later, a small boy on a bike would deliver a box of uh, fresh fruit and veg, and that's exactly what happens now, except it's a big man on a bike. But then your mother would have gone to a supermarket and thought, wow, look at this. I can go and choose everything I want. It's a self-serve. And actually, what, what I'm, I'm interested to know is that is this crisis to a certain extent, does it signal perhaps the end of that self-serve format of retail that, you know, that there, there's it seems to me now a much clearer struggle between the physical and the digital, between bricks and mortar and online? And, and, and do you think that it's inevitable from now on in that, uh, as it were, food retail becomes inevitably a hybrid of the two. If you don't have one, you can't succeed as a retailer. So that is to say, if you're a, if you're a physical retailer, you need e-commerce. And if you're an e-commerce retailer, you're actually going to need physical as well. Well, actually, what we see right around the world is that, isn't it? So, you know, the, the pure online players, if we do uh, go to the uh, China, for example, so take uh, Alibaba, uh, then they're in the business of purchasing stores. Uh, we saw the same with Amazon, uh, with Whole Foods, uh, and we see the, the big move. Let's take some major players like Walmart and Tesco, who've done online well, both of them. Uh, uh, but they know they have to do that well. And it is that combination. But I think it's, it's much more than that. For my mind, the, the, the big change, which is not COVID-19 related, but as I say, I think it's an acceleration of it, is, is this, this in, increasing routes to the consumer. And that in a relatively short period of time, we've seen those proliferate. And, you know, so, yes, there's a supermarket. Yes, you can have it online. I was just looking what else. Uh, and you could be a pure player, Cardo, or you could be an omni-channel uh, uh, Tesco or, or, or Walmart. Uh, then there is uh, meal boxes, for, for, for example. The, uh, we, we're sort of moving much more towards the meal solution or the snack solution than ingredients. And I think that's, that's really, really powerful. And uh, we're just going to see much, much more of that, from my mind. Uh, and you know, th this emergence of companies that we couldn't have even imagined 10 years ago. If you look at, uh, I, I mentioned uh, meal boxes. So HelloFresh. I mean, how many countries is HelloFresh in? I, I don't know. I guess 18, let's say. What's its market cap? I don't know, 10 billion, you know, suddenly it's a but word. We used to talk millions and now it's billions. Uh, so uh, that just wasn't there. And if you look at what volume of fresh produce, for example, goes through that channel, well, not a lot at the moment, but it is increasing. Uh, or alternatively, uh, this movement towards the meal solution. Well, what about a restaurant delivery platform? You know, it, 10 years ago, again, we didn't have that. And now you've got DoorDash in the, uh, the US market cap, 40 billion. Uh, uh, Deliveroo uh, being disappointing today as it happens, as its stock price uh, falls from the 390 to about 350. I think its IPO price was 390, it's down to, down to 350. But, but, but suddenly that's a, an, another route to the consumer uh, that is taking market share from traditional retailers. And I think that's the, I mean, the big struggle 
And the challenge for traditional supermarkets, traditional supermarkets, is that if they're not in these other routes to the consumers, which includes online, then it's bye-bye for them, I think. And, and you talk about the consumer, and, and there was always this kind of very traditional view of the consumer. You know, you, f- you fitted consumers into various kind of categories. And it seems to me today that the consumer you know, as a result also of, of the crisis that we've been going through is, is fast becoming in one consumer, a hybrid of many different consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that they, as it were, it was, it, it all seemed rather more simple in the old days, as it were. And now it's just rather more complicated that one consumer can be many different types of consumers. And, and that surely demands a change in approach from food marketers, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it does. But I don't know if this, uh, I, I think it has always been so. Uh, uh, perhaps it's a little more complex now. I mean, if you think about how we, uh, we view food, uh, one has to decide, is it fuel food? You know, is it like Monday to Thursday food? Or is it story food? Uh, and we might elect to, uh, if we're in story food mode, where food is the center of attention, that's what we're going to talk about around the, uh, the dinner table. It's one of those few occasions when friends and family are, uh, are there, then we want story food and we're very happy to uh, uh, have a communication with an artisan, somebody who is, really knows what they're selling. Come Wednesday, though, that's fuel food. And, and so that's in, in the same head of the same consumer. So, uh, y- y- yes, it, 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 it is complex. I think the, uh, I, mean, I don't know if it's quite the same, but uh, what I'm a reminder, in, the big change for me uh, or the acceleration of change comes to uh, that there was a time where people are talking about yeah, we're going back to scratch cooking, da da da, etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, what? Because for my mind, convenience trumps health every time. And that's a, an area where actually fresh produce still struggles. And, you know, do you mean I've got to prepare it myself? Why would I prepare it myself? And uh, I mean, I see the fresh produce industry to this day losing market share because there are others who recognize that convenience trumps health and are putting together something which is closer to a solution rather than a problem. And yet, and yet uh, fresh fruits and vegetables are the ones who trump, as it were, the health question each and every time. Everybody knows, uh, every, anybody you stop in the street anywhere in the world would, uh, would know that fresh fruits and vegetables are good for them. Um, and, and the crisis, to a certain extent, has taught us that this very direct connection between what you eat and how healthy you are is very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people understand that now in a way that they perhaps didn't before. Um, and, let's, and Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Let us see if we get any movement at all in the five days, which have been so uh, dis- disappointingly uh, static. We say that. We say that, of course, fresh fruit and vegetables are really healthy. I was looking at the Kantar data for a wide range of uh, countries just very recently and thought, looking at what grew the fastest, uh, and it was chocolates and salty snacks. Okay, not fresh fruit uh, uh, for my my snack. We know, we know we we should do that. And, but it, it leads on to something else too, which is I think the world knows that fresh fruit and vegetables are healthy. And then they park that in the better back of their minds. And we elect not to remind them. 
Mm. It's sort of astonishing. It's just improved a little bit recently where we actually might put the health benefit of the product we're selling on the package. And it just astonishes me that we haven't been doing that before and that we still don't do it enough. Uh, I know, for example, if, if there's a mega trend in terms of health, it would be this, that people are looking for immunity benefits, for example, that every FMCG company that I look at has been whipping out new products and it will be just identify the immunity benefit. Then I'll take, let's take something like uh, blueberries, for example, if you Google blueberry, it'll say good for the immunity system. However, we elect not to tell people that. They say, you can work it out for yourself. Well, you know, I think we've got to grow up in that regard and also be a little bit more uh, sophisticated in terms of our marketing with regard to health. Uh, so, for example, let me take blueberries again. In the US, they have uh, the US Blueberry Association, or well, I've forgotten exactly what it's called, uh, has got the heart stamp, the heart association stamp, which is sort of brilliant uh, because I, I think that logo actually does uh, it, it connects with consumers, but we've got to say to ourselves, okay, what sort of consumer would be interested in heart health? Well, not one under the age of 40, because they assume they're going to live forever. So mm -hmm. a heart health appeals to, say, an old, older consumer. Immune health, I think, appeals to almost everybody at the moment because it's been just branded on our head that mm -hmm. this is really important from a COVID-19 uh, point of view. Uh, but again, back to the, the, the blueberries, uh, we know they're full of antioxidants. What's that good for? Skin condition. Now, who do you think would be see that as a benefit? Well, you know, without being sexist, I would think a fair number of women and increasingly men would be, but we elect not to say that. So it, it sort of completely intrigues me as I look at the, uh, go to the dry goods aisles of supermarkets where every other product makes a health claim, go down the fresh produce aisle, nothing it's just starting to happen actually with some exceptions um the uh zespri uh, uh, are probably the best example of this they're sort of brilliant uh do they shout immunity in, in in asia so loud if i stand on a chair i can hear it in monmouth wales and and uh, one of the things that that occurs to me in fresh fruits and vegetables or certainly in fruit is that there's this obsession with sweetness Yes. And um, and do you think that's a problem? Yeah. It occurs to me that the, the world is kind of turning against sugar. And here we are developing all these varieties that, uh, to a certain extent, are focused on on the fact that they're sweet. And I kind of think to myself, is there not a disconnect there? Uh, yes, there is. And uh, and I, I would suggest it's always been so. I mean, the, the, the example which underlines it would be uh, grape consumption, particularly uh, uh, from women who are concerned about the, the sugar content. What we'll have to watch is that as we move in Europe, for example, but I think much wider than that towards a Nutri-Score, mm. where our product, whether it be fresh or whether it be ambient, has to have that score on it. And if it's high in sugar, it will scream that, mm. and then that will really suppress uh, uh, purchases. I think uh, there's something that which is gonna come along with the Nutri-Score, which is the Enviro-Score, and that's just starting to come big time now. Actually, a Belgian retailer is just introducing it uh, uh, this, this week, uh, actually. And that might be a real opportunity because if there is a mega trend, it's this sort of climate-friendly diets, concern about the environment, et cetera. And I would bet that in most cases that fresh produce would score well on EnviroScore. Well, well uh, the, the thing that always occurs to me is that fresh vegetables, um, 
tick all those boxes. They're local, they're highly nutritious, and yet, you know, there are, and and, and there's a big opportunity for fresh vegetables. Um, The problem is, is that so many kind of people grow up with this sense of eat your greens and that's therefore what you don't do as a result. Do you see that, do you see big opportunities for, for fresh vegetables? I think, you know, it's particularly challenging. And actually, I don't even know if I'd just say specifically to fresh vegetable, let's also put fruit in there, which is this, uh, and I know you've got an interest in it, this sort of inexorable movement towards commoditization mm-hmm. of, our, uh, of our produce, which is, uh, uh, it's falling into, I often say to the awful banana commodity trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I think, Fresh produce across the board has to be very, very wary of this. We can see it right now, even for uh, higher value. Uh, let, let me take fruit. Uh, I was talking blueberries, uh, but let's take fresh berries, which are the best performing fruit around the world, really, I would suggest. Uh, and yet, what do I see in the UK and the US that actually retail price per punnet hasn't changed? in 10 years. And so if you haven't been growing as a producer in increasing your productivity and scale, then you're out of business. We've seen that for years in, uh, in, in, in uh, fresh vegetables in particular, particularly fresh vegetables, which have no value added uh, component. And we're gonna continue to see it as long as, I think what it reflects to some extent is underinvestment in R&D that, uh, you know, back to my banana example, why is it the banana commodity trap? Because there's only one variety of banana and suddenly across the high street, it's gonna be 89p in the UK per, uh, per kilo. You see that item by item across uh, vegetables. And what we need is uh, a something, a product, preferably that I own, uh, that I have some intellectual property ownership of, where, where I have a, a variety which is perceptibly better uh, than the commodity version and where I can ch- uh, charge a premium. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, that's so it's in, in fruit and to some extent in vegetable, that would be like club varieties, if you will. But mm-hmm. just looking across the park in fresh produce, take apples, for example. I mean, the only real growth in uh, certainly in the UK market and to a lesser extent in the USA is in club varieties. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in Brabans and Gala, it's hard work. Uh, I know that exactly because my uh, lady wife of 50 years, I might say, uh, prefers to buy pink lady apples uh, at a hundred percent premium to British uh, grown gala uh, mm-hmm. because she said, no, that's my apple. That's mm-hmm. the apple that but, I like. Uh, but, but it's clear there that, that, um, that Susan, your wife and, and, uh, and many other consumers all over the world do actually understand this notion of value. Uh, Warren Buffett, the famous, uh, a very rich American investor and uh, known as the sage of Omaha, I think is, is yeah. that he, he said that um, price is what you pay and, and value is what you get. And there's an obsession in the business about price. And there isn't an obsession, it seems to me an equal obsession about value um, and the value of these products that we're, we're, we're enjoying and eating and, 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 uh, and should be eating more of, as we've just uh, discussed. What, what do you think we need to do to, to kind of raise this notion of value, to, to escape the commodity trap that you talked about a moment ago? Yeah, well, I think sadly, the, the, uh, the, this focus on price, it's in the DNA of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people ask me, you know, 
the same. Uh, should we, uh, uh, we don't promote fresh fruit and vegetables enough. I say you do promote fresh fruit and vegetables, but you only elect to do so on price, uh, which is the, the, I mean, do you see a Unilever or a Nestle saying, let's promote on price? No, they identify, what are the specific benefits of the, uh, just as I said earlier, what's yeah. the specific benefits of, of my product? Uh, is there any unique aspect here that I can uh, focus on that links to emerging consumer trends? And, uh, you know, that, that we have to do. You, you, you can build a buzz if you have something which is different and which, is, uh, which presses the right consumer button. Uh, mm -hmm. But in his, we, haven't the we haven't had the skills to do that because was, that's not my job. We pass it to the retailer and the retailer promotes on price. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we've, we've sort of harvested that. Last question, David. You, let, let's pretend for a moment that you are this Warren Buffett. You are this billionaire investor um, and you've got money to invest today. Where do you think you would put it in, in new vertical farming technology and e-commerce in a new supermarket concept, perhaps even a second lane for the Suez Canal? What's your hot take for us? Right, right. Uh, I mean, no doubt uh, you've been amazed, as I have, uh, at the the billions that have gone into uh, vertical horticulture. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, for the, my money wouldn't be going into that, I can assure you. This is, if, if ever there was a bubble, it's there. I mean, it has its place, but at the billion level, uh, hardly. However, high value horticulture, that's an area for investment. Where would I put it? I'd pick the highest value crop that I can find. And uh, the one that is sort of coming over the horizon now at pace, marijuana. <laughs> that's that's my crop of it best wait until it's legal uh, and then be in like flynn well um thank you for your advice that's all we've got time for today on fruitbox i was joined down the line by david hughes emeritus professor of food marketing at imperial college right here in london david it's a pleasure to see you again thanks so much for coming on fruitbox today my pleasure nice to meet you again now, you can find today's conversation with David and the many others I'm having here at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. Let me know if you've got other interesting ideas that you want to hear about discussed here on Fruitbox. Do stay tuned and make Fruitbox your regular listen throughout 2021. As I said, we post every episode at our website. I also share them through my profile on LinkedIn. And I hope David will share this through his profile too. So please do reshare to your followers too and a big thanks from me in advance that was Fruitbox and this is Chris White thank you so much for listening goodbye to sponsor a future episode please email advertising at fruitnet.com you can follow us on twitter at fruitnet live and don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest fresh produce industry news at fruitnet.com.